The world went to war this week. I mean, you had to notice it, right? The four horsemen of the apocalypse that are spoken about in the book of Revelation were on the move this week. They were riding through. The first one, conquest, starts with bragging and boasting and demanding, this belongs to me and I have the right to it and this is why and here's my rationalization, here's my narrative that justifies the actions of conquest. And then the second horseman quickly rides in with war. And we saw the images. I mean, one of the things about modern war, war is the story of human history, but about modern war, it starts in the Civil War, is that we begin to start to be able to catch pictures and now videos of, of things blowing up, of cities at night in the sky full of what look like fireworks, but we know they're not fireworks. Long lines of people fleeing cities in the end drive completely empty, of families huddled in subways and bomb shelters. We saw war this week, and, and that horseman is riding. And, and we expect, right, famine to follow. The next horse, as, as more of, of, of a society is destroyed and blown up and just obliterated, there will be a lack of hunger and water as infrastructure is blown up, as oil reserves are destroyed as resources that could be used for the common good are used for destruction, and, and nations respond with economic sanctions that make sense and may be necessary, but also will not fall hardest on those ones doing the crimes, but they will fall hardest on the poor and the disadvantaged. The horsemen ride, and of course that last horseman will come riding with death, riding with death. And death will come. It has already begun to come unjustly, unfairly. And we've seen images and we've seen sacrifices and, and we must be troubled by it because with death comes Hades or hell. So for people, there will be a hell on earth as the four horsemen of the apocalypse are riding this week again. We've seen it firsthand. It's stunning to me that this message that was planned months ago would fall this week where we talk about a war in heaven that is spilled out on earth. And the question that the book of Revelation wants to ask with all of us is, how long, God, are you going to put up with this? How long are you going to let evil of this kind live and go and move? And the thing that this book wants to say to us and the message we need to hear is that God will not allow evil to go on and on and on. Unchecked. There is a day when the wrath of the Lamb will come up against evil, injustice, and all the things that come against us. You know, it's easy to see this week, right, the four horsemen of the apocalypse riding. It's a little harder to see how he rides a little closer to home. Organizationally, the four horsemen can come. They can come when a company decides it wants to conquer conquer another company and goes over and takes over and closes a mill in a town and that town is decimated and then famine comes to that town and lack and things that were once important and special in that community die. When, when people do go to war using unjust organizational practices, when you have a power-hungry boss or coach or pastor who's in to control and will go to war to conquer, to protect their image or themselves in some way. People get hurt and things die. It's the four horsemen of the apocalypse. 
It happens in our relationships. Maybe as we are a spouse who feels the need to be controlled and, and wants to conquer another person they're in a love relationship with and tries to control them, and they will go to war on things, and, and there will be a famine of love and tenderness and patience and understanding, and, and that will grow to see some really important things like family and, and marriages die. It can happen in parenting when we get afraid and we don't listen to our fears. We don't pay attention to how we were raised. And as parents, we try to conquer our kids and make them conform instead of helping them become. And we go to war on things that don't matter. And once again, there's a famine of relationship that leads to some very important things. Dying. And even our homes and our businesses and our schools can be a place where hell comes to earth. Just like the book of the Revelation says. Just like the book of the Revelation says. You see, we, we don't realize that when we understand this dynamic that the book of Revelation spoke about so long ago, this tendency we have to go to war on things, to have court battles and battles at work and custody battles and all the different things, when, when we will go to war to conquer, something dies. And we don't realize, because we tend to think of these four horsemen as something out there, something going to happen to someplace else. But all too often, I don't know about you, but I've discovered this week was deeply convicted. God woke me up in the middle of the night one night this week to remind me that I stand. That is to say that there are times in my life that I ride with these horsemen. That there are things I am complicit with. And when I ask the question, how long will God let evil stand? I need to understand that God will not allow the evil that I am part of, to go on indefinitely. An intense message, and an intense part of the book of Revelation. So, so we're in this book, and, uh, and we're in a part of the book where we're, we're in the, the, what I call the mushy middle. It's, it's a time where it gets very intense, it gets very troubling at times, but it also, you'll see it in a minute, stick with me, it's full of hope. Because, spoiler alert, we win. If you hear one thing about this entire 15-week study in Revelation, you hear one thing that could change your perspective, I want you to hear this. In spite of the evil that is going on, in spite of the evil that we have become part of, at the end of the day, in Christ, in Jesus, we win. And there's this incredible message of hope. Now, now in this this. Next section of Revelation, you remember what's gone on is, is Jesus is revealed as glorified. He speaks to his seven churches. He's revealed as the, the one on the throne, but also a lamb on the throne. And when we last left the lamb, a scroll was in the hand of God. And it was the scroll of human history. It was the story of human history. And, and the question was asked, who is worthy to open that scroll? And, and no one was found worthy to open up the scroll in such a way that it's nothing but just a tragedy. It's nothing but just a story of war and horror and disappointment and sin and the failure of human history. Who can open up that scroll in such a way that something beautiful comes from it, something healing, something redemptive? And finally, one of the elders, and it's really important to pay attention when the elders speak in Revelation, says there's a lamb on the throne and he is worthy to take the scroll and open it up in a different way. Now, now that's what where we've been at so far. So, so, so what we see now in this section is that we have the middle section where we're going to see three series of seven. Okay, stick with me. This is a little technical, but I know you can get it. So important that you do. Three series of seven. Seven seals, 
seven trumpets and seven bowls, okay? And, and, and the first series is that scroll that was given to the lamb has seven little seals. Imagine wax seals on it, and each one is being opened up, basically saying this is part of human history and how God's going to make it redemptive. And so we're going to look at those seven stories, seals today. This is the perfect story of redemption, and you'll see that in a minute. The, the second is seven trumpets. That is a perfect call to repentance. The desperate need for followers of Christ to turn back to God in the way of the Lamb, and for us to call society back to the way of the Lamb, which is love and service and sacrifice. And, and the seven bowls are perfect wrath and judgment. And this is going to be something we're going to get to in several weeks. And, and, and let me just give you a little thing. Whenever we talk about wrath, some of you are going, whoa, freak out. And, and when we start talking about the wrath of the Lamb, that is the wrath of Jesus, some of you are like, I'm checking out. I'm not signed up for that Jesus. I like the baby Jesus. I like the good shepherd Jesus. I like the door, the way, the redemptive, my friend. You know, I like the Jesus who shows up and just makes me feel better about stuff. But I don't really sign up for the wrath of Jesus. But, but what we're going to see is that the wrath, the judgment that comes, is against evil. is against the dragon. And against Babylon. is against abuse and violence. And, and because he is good and righteous, this is exactly how he must be. And you're going to see this exactly how you want him to be. And one of the big questions that Christians ask, and, and young Christians particularly asking is, is this fair I mean, when God's judgment finally comes down, is it going to be fair? Is everybody going to get a fair shake? What about the guy in Africa? What about other religions? What about other things? And we're going to unpack the judgment of God at the way, in a way that I think is going to help you see it in a way that, that with the rest of creation, you're going to say, just and true is all your way. So we're going to get there. We're not going to get there today. But, but these seven seals, these seven, seven, uh, three series of sevens are are. are full of symbolism. Several things I need to understand about this for those you may be taking notes. Every one, all the images in this section are rooted in Old Testament imagery. It's just, you will not understand if you don't understand the Old Testament. So the first part has to do with the Babylonian exile. Second part has to do with Pharaoh and the plagues and Moses. The third has to do, uh, third has to do with Babylonian exile. The first one has to do with the prophets and Zechariah, but, but we'll get to all that. When, when we need to, but, but it's full of Old Testament imagery. And so we properly interpret it, not by what we see in the newspaper today. By the way, I'm not bringing up the stuff in Russia right now because I think it's some great sign that the world's going to end next Tuesday. Yeah, I just don't have that kind of information. And I don't read Revelations that way. It's not a predictive story of a futuristic event. It's the reality of while we live right now. I mean, if you go to Ukraine right now and you say to people, oh, someday it's going to get bad, they're going to say, Really? It's going to get bad. Mm -hmm. You go to Africa or Yemen or Saudi Arabia, you say, oh, it's going to be a tribulation. Really? How much worse can it be than it is right now? This is the story. The great tribulation is human history. And so, so we'll see that. It's cataclysmic, symbolic language. It's full of exaggeration. For instance, it says things like the stars were thrown down from heaven. Well, we know stars are sun. If they're thrown down to earth, how's that going to work? So, so it, listen, let me just hear this, okay? This is going to make somebody upset. Oh, well. <sighs> to read this section literally is an abuse of the text. It's an abuse of the text. It will lead you to misinterpreting and missing the thing that God actually wants us to see. This is meant to be read poetically and figuratively. It's meant to be full of Old Testament imagery so that we understand what's going on. And it's not supposed to let us to dread and despair, particularly dread and despair for some future people or some other people. But instead, it's supposed to lead us to hope for ourselves, 
for humanity, that there's beauty ahead of us. I mean, this is, this is what's supposed to happen. So, so it's full of beautiful, symbolic, beautiful imagery. Word of God, true and errant, all that, but, but symbolic. Now, now, the other thing you understand is that this is a description of human history and the human condition and how God is going to respond and how we are supposed to respond. In the midst of this, how then are we supposed to live? Okay, when you read the three series of sevens in this way, that it's about today. It's about my personal righteousness and holiness in the midst of injustice and evil. It changes radically how we approach this. Now, the next thing you need to understand is that this is the same cycle of three. So some people, and, and, and you know, I, I could be wrong, but I don't think that this is the right way to look at it, that they look at that this is kind of a, a, a this seven things are going to happen, these seven things, these things are going to happen in the future, and if we can figure out the code, I don't think that's going on. I think it's actually describing the same series of human history from three different perspectives. The perspective of salvation, the perspective of witness, and the perspective of righteous living. Okay, and you'll see that as we walk through this and, 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 and we'll, we'll get through this. You also need to understand this, that the message is found in the pause between the sixth and seventh. Now this is super important. Let me explain this and then I'm gonna actually show you from the text how this works. You have the seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. And what happens is they open the seven seals, and then there's a pause, there's an interlude where what's going on is explained through other symbolism, other illustration, and then there's a seventh. The seventh seal then opens up for the seven trumpets. Six trumpets, and then there's a pause. And the meaning is found in the interlude and the pause. This, if you, once you see it, you'll never be able to not see it. And then the seventh seal. And then the seventh, there's, it opens up the bowls of wrath. The bowls of wrath come six, and those are crazy stuff. Okay, six, and then there's a seventh. And the seventh explains what that series means. And it all is trying to communicate, again, God's redemptive story, how we are supposed to be witness in this world, and what it means to be righteous in the face of unrighteousness and evil in this time. And so it's going to be very important as you're reading, for this, reading this to pay attention to this. We have devotions this week. And let me just say, as we worked on the devotions, if you take them seriously and put in the time, these have potential to mess with you in a deep and profound way. So I really encourage you to use the devotions over the next three weeks as we talk about this war that's going on uh, in heaven that has splashed down to earth. Okay, let me show you how all this works by walking through the seals in Revelations. These seven symbols that are meant to say something about our present condition and how we're supposed to understand it, okay? Understand that all this, the entire backdrop of the book of Revelation is based on this understanding that there is a war. It's between the dragon who's identified as Satan, that person and his forces of evil that rebelled against God and, and God threw them out of heaven and now that has come down to earth. We're going to see that in a couple of weeks. I'll explain all that. And, and now we, we find that, that every conflict we have, whether it be in Ukraine or the conversation you had in the car on the way here or the meeting you're worried about tomorrow at work, all of it is an overflow of that conflict, okay? And, and let, me, let me just, again, give you just a word of hope in the midst of this. We are not trying to win the war. The war has been won by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have already won. But the, the devil continues to fight, just continues. He's full of ruthless hate and wrath. And you say, where do we see that kind of irrationality today? Have you watched the news this week? 
That's the dragon. That's, that's the spirit of the dragon. Well, the dragon establishes a kingdom called Babylon. It's the way of the dragon, power, money, control, domination, slavery, injustice, abuse. And the lamb is establishing the new Jerusalem with every tribe, every nation, inclusive, open. And, 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 and so you have this war going on. And, and ultimately, ultimately, um, what goes on on earth is like it. This seals are a description of it. So the seals start with what we've already said. The first four seals that are open are the four horsemen of the apocalypse. This is where it comes from. You may have heard it referenced in literature. This is the honesty of the book of Revelation that says there's just a lot of this in human history. Regularly and routinely, people who get set on conquest. And, and that's the heart of the dragon that I want to take. It's for me, better to rule in hell than to serve in heaven, as Dante said. And so, so, so you have this spirit of, I want, it's about me, it's selfishness, it's control. And it manifests itself in wars and relational conflicts and organizational toxic, toxicity, economic injustice. It's this desire to take what has not been given to me by God. And, and we will go to war. Sometimes it's a war of words. Sometimes it's punishing with money. Sometimes it's physical violence or the threat of physical violence all the way to war. This is the spirit of the human condition. This is the thing that the war has brought. And this always creates famine. It creates this lack. And if you're here today, maybe you even rolled in here today in Justin's beautiful prayer at the beginning, you're feeling that lack. You're feeling that ache. Well, let me just give you this point of perspective. It's because we're in a war zone. It's kind of supposed to feel that way. And as much as we want to kind of cover it over and feel like we shouldn't have to go through this and, and kind of medicate ourselves with buying or spending or eating whatever else it is, we are in the midst of a war. We are in the midst of some battles going on. And how we fight matters. We're supposed to fight, but we're supposed to fight in the way of the lamb. Okay? And, and, and this is the famine. It will create a, a, a feeling of, I feel, feel like I'm starving for relationship. I'm starving for love. I'm starving for understanding. I'm starving to find safe people who won't hurt me. Uh, let alone literally in wars, starving for life and water and food. This is all the spirit of the horseman. Now watch this. It leads then to things dying, important things dying, organizational health, relational trust, intimacy in marriage, friendships, all the way from nations and people and literal death. This is the human condition. Those are the first four seals. And then the fifth seal, we looked at it last week, or yes, last week, when we talked about the, 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 um, the martyrs. When he opened the fifth seal, fifth seal, he saw under the altar the souls of those who had been wounded, uh, wounded for the word of God, for witness they had borne. And so this is people who are caught up in the middle of this battle, and they have been hurt. They have been thrown under the altar. They have been beat up, and, and they stood for what was right. And very often, when you stood for what's right, you get beat up from both sides. Because sometimes we think, oh, the dragon's on the right, or the dragon's on the left. And what we come to find out is that in the extreme, the dragon lives happily in both places. And so sometimes, to do what is right, it just means you stand, you and Jesus. Just you and Jesus to do what is right. Well, these are those ones, and they cried with a loud voice. Look at this. O sovereign Lord, holy and true. So again, all this is connected. Going back to the great throne, what, what, what did the angels sing when they went around it? Holy, holy, holy. That is righteous, that is pure, that is just. Holy and true and just. He said they're counting on the nature and character of God to do something about this. 
And, 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 and look what, what they say. They say, how long before you will judge and avenge the bloods who dwell on the earth when he opened, uh, when he opened the earth? He says, how long will you judge? Not just those bad people who we think, oh, they're the, they're the troublemakers, but the inhabitants of the earth. Okay, um, um, when he opened the sixth seal, I look and behold, there was a great earthquake. Now, this is the part where you get a ton of symbolic language because what's the sixth seal? The sixth seal is judgment. The sixth seal is God coming and saying, I'm going to make this right. I'm going to expose evil. I'm going to call out evil. I'm going to throw down evil. Evil is going to be judged. And so the sixth seal, and, and so it's described, and this is a characteristic throughout the old, old Testament. It shows up in the prophets. It shows up in Moses on the mountain. This is the language it comes from. And it's a picture of the righteous judgment of God against evil. Look what it says. It says, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth and the uh, full moon became like blood. And so again, these are things that people say, when you start seeing these things, then the end's gonna come. That's actually, I don't think what's going on here. What's going on here is he's using apocalyptic or catalytic language to say there is a day when judgment is going to come. These are not signs to look for. These are symbols to tell us that judgment is actually going to come. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth. Again, we know stars are sun, and so this is symbolic language. As fig trees shed winter in its fruit, shaken by a gale. He says things are going to be shaken. The sky vanishes like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island will be removed from its place. It's going to be just gigantic. It says, you know, it's like us. We use this kind of language. What happened? Well, they came to the meeting, and they just blew everything up. And, and we would say, well, they had a bomb? No, they, they just they said a bunch of stuff. They, they blew everything up. So they literally blew things up. No, 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 no. You're understanding, you know? Uh, you understand, uh, I was having this person and they have gone to war on this. What do you mean? They got guns and army and they're mobilizing troops? No, 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 no. See, we use the same kind of language to describe something that's big. And these extreme cataclysmic symbols are saying when judgment comes, it's going to be very, very serious. Now, now watch the human response to the opening of the sixth seal. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals, those ones who are bringing conquest and war and all that, and the rich and the powerful, those ones who are abusing their position to control and hurt other people, these folks, these folks are freaking out. But notice this next one. And everyone, everyone, everyone. I looked it up, the Greek word for everyone, you know what it means? means everyone or everybody. So this verse that I can imagine Hitler and Putin and Stalin and all the people I want to make in that, I can imagine some rich, evil guy. I can imagine some powerful, terrible person. Listen, when I look closely, standing, is that me? You see, here's the deal. I will stand before God. And when I stand before God, everything I whispered under my breath will be heard clearly. Every motivation of my heart that I dressed up and fooled people will be exposed for what it is. Every time I cherished an attitude and did a little vindictive thing, every time I chose revenge, every time I wasn't even aware of how I created a narrative that vilified another and hurt them and justified myself, that will be clearly seen. Every time I took things into my own hands and I embraced selfishness and smallness, every time I supported something 
that was inherently oppressive, every time I benefited from it and looked the other way, all of that will be made clear. See, I'm part of the everyone, and my friends, so are you. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And judgment comes. That, that's the situation we find ourselves in. He goes in, slave and free. Say, well, aren't those the, the oppressed ones, the slaves? Well, you see the righteousness of a slave and how they treated other slaves. You don't have to have power to be abusive. You can just kick the dog if you're at the very bottom. But, but there's a way to live the dragon even as we, we are oppressed. We, we are all in this. We are all victims and victimizers. You see, this is not the human story. This is the human story. It's all of us together. And, and so we are mopped up in this. Look what it says they did. Look what they said. So here's Jesus coming back. If your image was Jesus coming back, people running Jesus, look what it says. It says, they hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks and among the mountains. I thought the mountains were gone. Symbolic language. Just trying to show you symbolic language, okay? They hid themselves. Why? Because they know God's going to judge. You can say, I was just going to judge the unrighteous. That's why they're hiding. That's why they're hiding. And look what it says. Look at their response. Calling on the mountains and the rocks, fall on us, hide from us, the, from us the face of him who's seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb, because the lamb punishes evil. So many people said, why didn't Jesus just wipe out evil from the beginning? Because none of us would be left. None of us would be left. We are all in this complicit together. Okay, watch this. Uh, uh, wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of the wrath has come. So this is the great day, the final judgment. Look at this. He asked a huge question. And you want to understand Revelation? Pay attention to the questions that are asked. Okay, here's the question. Who can stand? Who can stand? Let me just ask you a question. At the judgment, if you stand with your attitudes, your actions, your sins, your behaviors, what you did and what you failed to do, and if you have to stand and justify your attitude and your actions, can you stand? If you actually think, say, I'm a pretty good guy, I think I can stand, I can't help you. If you have been so deluded by the dragon that you have any kind of righteousness to go before a holy land and say, that wasn't me, I had no part in this. This human catastrophe, I had no part in this. If that's your narrative, I can't help you. But if the Holy Spirit would just give you a moment of honesty and then a deep crying of honesty where you recognize, but for the grace of God, there go I. And I'm guilty and I've sinned. Lord, have mercy on me. I can't stand. Now, again, we're at seal six. What did I say? The meaning is found in the interlude or the pause between the two the two um, uh, six and seal, six and seven seals. So this is what goes on. Listen, this is so cool. Whew. Could anyone use a little hope at this point in the message? It's okay to feel holy fear. It might save your soul. Okay. So 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 what happens next? Well, John freaks out. Who can stand? And he turns to the elder, and the elder says, "Look." And see the, the nation of Israel. And then you get that part, the first time, the 144,000. We're not going to look at that right now. And so John is saying, thinking to himself, oh, Israel, God's chosen people. He's going to establish a nation. Just choose some certain people out of this. This is going to be great. But what he's given is an image. I don't have time to unpack this now. We'll talk about it on the podcast. But what he has is a perfect image of God's Israel. What Paul calls the new Israel, the people of God, the people who not just have a circumcised body, but a circumcised heart, who traded their heart of stone for a heart of flesh, 
All of that is there. He says, okay, he heard about it. And then this happens so many times in Revelations. He turned expecting to see that and he sees something else. Look what he sees. The pause, he sees the multitude. After this, I look. So this is between the seals. And behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from every tribe and all people and language standing. That is to say, who can stand? These ones are standing. There is a multitude of those who can stand before the Lamb because they've been to the blood of the Lamb. Okay? Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed, look at this, in white robes. Again, we're going to see this in a couple weeks. It's particularly important for the seven bowls of wrath. Okay? The white robes are righteous deeds. So these are not just people who prayed a prayer to get out of hell. Fire insurance. These are people who have had a love relation with Jesus, believe in him for salvation in such a way that it changes how they live because the white robes represent righteous deeds, goodness, holiness, a change, not a perfection. We don't get perfection until we get to heaven, but a moving towards love and service and sacrifice. You are known as a follower of the Lamb. Many times it comes with persecution, but, but they're standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robe, with palm branches in their hand. That's a picture of worship. It goes back to Palm Sunday and Jesus coming in to Jerusalem. And it's worship and it's praise in the most wonderful, wonderful way. Palm branches in their hands. Look at this. And crying out with a loud voice, salvation. See, this is, the seven seals are a perfect picture of God's salvation. It's the gospel, friends. It's nothing new. It's not a new plan to get to the end of the world. It's our hope. It's our eternal hope. This is the message Paul gave to his audience, which were the martyrs who were paying a price. How long? It's going to come, and when it comes, it's going to come with salvation and crying with a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So they were fleeing from the one on the throne, fleeing from the, no, these, fleeing from, from the wrath of the Lamb. Now they find the love of the Lamb, the acceptance of the Lamb, the forgiveness of the Lamb, all because of what the Lamb did in his life, his death on the cross, and his resurrection. This is why they overcome the dragon. They overcome the war. They overcome the human condition by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. The, the blood of Jesus and the different way they live because of the, the blood of Jesus. See, this is the message of Revelation. not a new message. It's, it's that old message. If you want something new at Jacob's Well, all we do is old stuff. That's all we do. Ancient stuff. I mean, we haven't added modern stuff for a long time. This is the message. It's just, it's just awesome. Watch this. Then the one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white from where they have come? I said to him, sir, you know. So again, the elder is given the position of authority. It's a linguistic device. Elders are the ones who are explaining it even to John. Okay. Um, um, he said to them, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones who've come out of the great tribulation. Some people have a view of revelation that the great tribulation is something that's going to come after a rapture and things like that. I don't think that's what's going on. I think human history is tribulation. I think people in Ukraine right now would describe what they're going through as a tribulation. I think a person who's in economic oppression because of an unjust system feels like they're in a, per, a tribulation. I think a person who's in an abusive marriage or has an abusive parent feels like they're in a tribulation. Okay? This is the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white. That's just in the blood of the Lamb. So the whole idea is that Jesus cleanses us from our sins. Jesus is the forgiver of our sins. That when we put our trust in his blood poured out as a sacrifice, we have forgiveness for our sins. And, and we are made new. A new spirit is deposited in us and we become part of the multitude. It's not an exclusive multitude. It's not just Israel or not just America or not just white folks. 
It's every tribe, nation, and tongue. It's the most beautifully inclusive thing you will ever see anywhere on the face of the earth. It's written in the heart of God. Okay? Therefore, they are before the throne of God and they serve him night and day in the temple. And so they, they serve and they have the joy of that. And, and who sits on the throne and shelters them with his presence. They're in the actual presence of God. Okay? And, and, and then from there, they shall hunger no more. Okay? So, so this lack, not just physical hunger, but emotional hunger and spiritual hunger and relational hunger. Uh, neither will they thirst anymore that it's not enough. There's got to be more. That's satisfied. The sun will not strike them. And so, so labor will be labor. and It'll be joyful. It'll be good. It'll be challenging. But it won't be oppressive. That's taken away from the curse. Nor the scorching heat, okay? As, as we labor and, and often feels like it's futile in our life. That goes away. For the lamb is in the midst of the throne. So again, the lamb. So there's one on the throne. Now the lamb is in the throne. So the lamb or it's God. It's a picture of the Trinity. It's glorious, beautiful. Oh, it's gorgeous. Uh, for the lamb is in the midst of the throne, will be their shepherd, okay? Goes back to John's writing in the Gospel of John. I am the good shepherd in that long dialogue of what it means for Jesus to be shepherd of the sheep. That goes back to Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You see how it's all together? It's gorgeous. And, and he will give, guide them and it's the spring of living waters and satisfying. And God, look at this, will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now he's going to double down on this whole thing when we get to chapter 21. We're going to do that for Easter. It's going to be so good. We're talking about the new Jerusalem. And the promises of the new Jerusalem based on the resurrection of Christ are stunning. They're stunning. They're absolutely gorgeous. They're beyond joy. And so when we understand this interlude, this pause, we understand that we have two choices, okay? We have two choices, we can try to stand before God in our own righteousness, in our own self-righteousness, and I am the king of self-righteousness. I can rationalize attitudes, behaviors, and actions that, that are so far away from the Lamb. And I can try to stand before God, and I say, who can stand? I think I can stand. But as I've been thinking about it and praying about it and troubling my spirit, I can imagine myself running for my life. I can imagine people I know, friends and family, running for their life. I can imagine my family running for their life because anyone who tries to stand in their own righteousness will be fleeing. And so how do you avoid fleeing the lamb? It's very simply. You flee the wrath of the lamb by running to the lamb. But at this moment, at this time, you turn around and you say, Jesus, you are my only hope. I can't be good enough. I can't add anything. I'm unrighteous. I, I, I get upset about the evil in the world, and we should. We should speak against that injustice. That's actually part of the witness part of the seven, seven trumpets, okay? We, we should declare righteousness, okay? But, 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 but <laughs> I, I just recognize that as I'm screaming in the darkness, I stand in the darkness. Without you, you are the light. And so, so, so what am I doing? I'm going to go to Jesus, and I'm going to say just very simply, Jesus, I have sinned. I have not sinned a little. I have sinned a lot. And I've rationalized, I've explained it, I've blamed it on others, said I had bad childhood, whatever, this, that, and the other. And the world will give you lots of ammunition to rationalize it. And maybe you've drank that Kool-Aid and you've bought that, but at the end of the day, when you're alone in the dark, you know what's in your heart. And so you, with me, have one chance is to run to the Lamb. Just to run to the one who did not come to take life, but he gave his life, the Lamb who was slain. You see, you see the messages being said here? So let me just ask you a question. If Jesus were to come back in this moment, 
and he would start putting things right, and, and we were to stand before a holy, holy, holy God, one who is just and true, who will always give right and good judgments. We'll see that, and in, 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 I think you'll have a whole new confidence. Is this an area you struggle with? A couple weeks, we're going to be talking about it. But if you stand before that God, and that is the way it is, can you stand? Can you stand? I want to pray a prayer. This is a prayer of repentance. It's a prayer of turning to God. It's a prayer of salvation. It's asking God to come into our life, to forgive our sins, to change our mind and our heart, to start planting things in us that we would live, not only be saved, but we start living out our salvation and righteous actions. It's a prayer of turning to the lamb. And maybe for you, you've been in church for years and years, but you have never ever, you're here because you want Jesus to fix your life here on earth. But you never realize that the real issue is the life to come. And the real issue is sin that's not been dealt with. And so today could be a day of salvation for you. And the great day of the Lord will not be a day of wrath. It will be a day of singing. Notice that what they did, the, the, the multitude who sang, they sang a song of salvation. We sing songs of salvation. Every song we've sung so far today is a song of salvation. Today is your opportunity for the song of salvation to be real for you. Will you pray this prayer and let my words be your words. Lord Jesus Christ, Lamb of God, just and true, Heavenly Father who sits on the throne, Spirit of God who reveals hearts and minds, we know one day we will stand against you and our words, our actions, our attitudes, our motivations will be laid bare. And I know, Father, we all declare, I cannot stand. I've sinned. I've been unrighteous. I've been in need of your forgiveness and your love. I've stood for things I should not have stood for. I've been silent about things I should not have been silent about. Uh, it's just been overwhelming, and, 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 and I cannot stand. And so I come to you in humility and brokenness and ask you, Lord Jesus, to forgive my sins, not based on anything I would do to make up for them, but based on the blood of Jesus, that I really believe you lived, you died, you rose from the dead. And when you died and your blood was shed, the blood of the Lamb would cleanse me from righteousness. It would cleanse me and bring forgiveness. It, it would be a, a cleansing that would remove anything that would keep the Father from sending the Holy Spirit to me so that I could live in the Spirit and walk in the Spirit. And I then would not be called, you know, strange or alien or enemy of God, but instead I'm a son or a daughter of God. The stunning contrast between the wide road and the narrow road, one that leads to destruction, one that leads to life, is so clear in this passage. Jesus, forgive me, save me, bring salvation in my life. I desperately need you to be my Lord and to be my Savior. That I would be a more righteous person in this age. There's so much unrighteousness. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.